The first reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, and can be found on page 1000 of the Church Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And the second reading is from Luke chapter 24, from verses 36 to 49, on page 1062 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 24, from verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why did doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Father, we thank you for those words recorded all those years ago. And we dare to pray now that the same Holy Spirit who oversaw the gospel writers as they wrote their records of Jesus' life, we pray that that same Holy Spirit will enable us to read them afresh and to hear your voice this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. I had the pleasure of driving in from the far extremity of East London this morning. I live in Essex, uh, and I came down the A13 from somewhere near the Dartford Bridge, 
um, through all the various bits of London uh, until I came into the kind of Limehouse Tunnel area and then along the Thames on the North Shore through Shadwell, that kind of area. I cut across Tower Bridge. I went down towards um, Elephant. Uh, I came across through Lambeth, over Lambeth Bridge and that kind of way. And you, most of you, you're looking at me. You know what I mean, don't you? You know what I mean. And um, what struck me driving in this morning um, was, was the truly enormous and global nature um, of this city, London. It's a diverse city. It's an energetic city. It's a city with famous museums and galleries and institutions. It's a financial centre that still, at least for the moment, is world-leading, although who knows um, with all the um, uh, things that are going on at the current time. Uh, it's, a, it's a city with some of the best restaurants and buildings and historic railway stations. That's one of my passions, don't get me started, uh, on this um, particular planet. Uh, and yet at the same time, it's a city with enormous challenges. It needs a better infrastructure. Uh, I happen to live on one of the crossrail stations, so I'm keeping a really good lookout, although I see we've been told it's been delayed again um, now, which is a great shame. It's a city that needs more homes. We have a record number of people sleeping rough uh, and in cramped and challenging um, conditions. We need an answer to knife crime, which apparently seems to be on the rise when you read your papers uh, and watch um, the media. It needs an answer to loneliness. There are many, many people in this thriving city who are desperately um, lonely. Uh, and I put it to you this morning that most of all, this city has millions of people who as yet don't know the love of God in Christ for themselves. Now that's of course where I want to offer something this morning. That's where you and I come in because it's my uh, understanding that you as a church are aware that the call to follow Jesus is also a call to share the good news about him with the communities uh, and the neighborhoods and the city um, in which we live. To share the good news that God has not abandoned this world, that he's reached out to rescue the men, women and children who are lost from him. But if we're honest... We're clear about the call, we're clear about the responsibility, but we're somewhat more reticent when it comes to the doing it, the being it, the living out. And that's not surprising, given, if you like, the size of the challenge, and as I've already suggested to you, just driving across, as it were, a segment of London this morning, it reminded me what an enormous challenge this is. And some of you will also be aware that you know, in this age of political correctness and ideological inclusion and the fear of religious commitment that makes um, groups who are passionate about their spirituality almost toxic in our society. This is a real challenge. This is a real challenge. So what kind of church is it that can minister in that context? To put it simply, what kind of church does London need in 2019? Well, as the chief exec of a mission agency, you'd obviously expect me to say, well, it's very simple. We need to be a witnessing church. You heard the readings we've just had. We need to be a church that makes disciples. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is this, that at the end of each of the four Gospels, there is a very clear injunction about mission, about evangelism, about being witnesses, telling the story. But at the same time, and this is the bit we often miss, Jesus gives us something of the how that will be possible. And I'm assuming for these 15 minutes or so I've got to speak now, I'm assuming that you're clear about the responsibility. 
We are to proclaim. We are to witness. We are to make disciples. What I want to offer you is some encouragement by looking at the words that Jesus offers, as it were, in the second half of each of his commissioning sentence. What is it that's going to make it possible for us to be the kind of church that London needs? And we're literally going to bounce through the ends of our four Gospels. Matthew, we heard these words read to us a few moments ago. Go and make disciples. That's the bit we hear. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on and said this, and I am with you always to the ends of the earth. And there's an implication, I think, in the way Jesus says it and the way Matthew records it. And the implication is this. The first won't happen without the second. The second bit of the sentence is key to the first actually happening. And it's interesting when you trace throughout Scripture as a whole... Um, uh, God's promises to his people. Um, This is one of those promises that pops up again and again. So, for example, if you go back to Genesis, in Genesis 28, God says to Jacob um, in a dream at Bethel, he says, "Um, I won't leave you until the things that I have promised are done. In other words, I will be with you. And that's how these things will happen. To Moses, when Moses says to God in Exodus 3, you know, who am I? that I should go to the great Pharaoh. What is God's answer? God God answers, I will be with you. That's the key. God says to Moses, I will be with you. In Deuteronomy, the priests are called to tell the people, and when you walk into battle, don't faint or fear because you've got big swords and cannons behind you. No. It says, don't faint or fear because the Lord your God goes with you. And to God's people in exile through Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I could carry on, but you get the message, don't you? The thing that makes the difference is when God is with us. I love the story of the elderly bishop who's doing the rounds of his diocese. And he came to this one church where they just appointed this very energetic alpha male curate. And um, rather than preach himself, he decided that he'd allow, he decided that he'd allow this young alpha male curate to preach. And he sat on the front rows, this young man bounded up a much, much higher pulpit than yours, 39 steps at least. And he went to the top of the pulpit and he leaned over and he said, the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman. And, and the bishop noticed how the whole of the congregation was interested. And then this young curate went on to say, and that woman was another man's wife. At which point, the bishop noticed that everybody was on the edge of their seat. And then the curate leaned over and said, that woman was my mother. And the congregation went, ah, and from then on, they ate out of his hand. And the bishop thought, this is the way to preach. So he went back to the cathedral the following Sunday morning. And halfway through the service, at the appropriate time, he walked up the long train of stairs into the pulpit. And he leaned over, getting old, getting old. It's quite an exercise, even getting up into the pulpit. He leaned over and he said, I'd never told you before, but the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman. Well, it certainly woke the cathedral congregation up. They were interested in what the bishop had to say. Uh, And then he said, and that woman was another man's wife, at which point there was kind of growing apoplexy in one or two quarters of the congregation. Then he leaned even further and said, but you know, I can't remember who she is. (laughs) There are some things... We should never forget. Look at the words. I am with you. I am with you. 
And so when someone asks you at work this week a challenging or a difficult or a probing question about your Christian faith, what's the first thing to do? Well, the first thing is to remember, Lord, thank you that you're with me. Help me to answer this question. When someone asks you at college, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe that stuff? The first thing to do is to remember, Lord, thank you that you're with me. Help me to answer that question. When someone says to you on a Friday night in the pub after a couple of pints, you don't believe all that rubbish, do you? The first thing to remember is, Lord, thank you that you're with me. Help me to say something that's helpful and that witnesses to you. When you're at a supper party and someone says, well, you can't believe that nonsense, can you? Neanderthal. The first thing to remember is, Lord, thank you that you're in the seat next to me. Help me to know what I can say. It makes a difference that Jesus is with us. And we need to be a church that knows that and practices that and lives it every day. Secondly, what about the end of Mark's gospel? Well, there's some pretty interesting stuff at the end of Mark's gospel. Go into all the world and preach the good news. There's the commission. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Mark goes on then to record Jesus talking about the driving out of demons, the speaking in tongues, the picking up of snakes, the drinking of poisons. I'll leave Charles to deal with one or two of those for you. The question I want to ask you this morning is, well, what's, um, what, what, what is it from here that we need to hear? I'm working to the assumption that Jesus didn't waste his words and the Holy Spirit ensured that the words that are recorded in Scripture are words that we need to hear. So what is it that we need to hear from here? Well, ask yourself this question. What is it that divides most churches down the middle? Can I suggest to you that it's not baptism, I know we've got different opinions, some people, infant baptism, no, I'm not into infant baptism. Those kind of debates happen in Church of England parishes. Some people it's about, you know, we think bishops are great, other people think we don't think bishops are great. You know, that those kind of debates happen in churches. But do you know what the real divide is down the middle of the Christian church? It's between the church that believes in the intervening power of God and the church that doesn't. That's the real divide in the middle of the church. Some of you may recognize um, this picture. It's of Jim Carrey from a film um, from 1998 called The Truman Show. And um, you either love or hate Jim Carrey, I think. He's an exceptional actor, uh, but I've always thought of him as a slightly quirky kind of character. And in this particular film, he plays a guy whose whole life is being lived out in a studio, a film studio, but he doesn't know. He thinks it's reality. He thinks it's the world. What he doesn't know is that the sky is a ceiling with spotlights. What he doesn't know is that when he drives to work, he's still inside this enormous studio. And what he doesn't know is that everybody else in what he thinks is his world are actors who are being given a script, as it were, from the outside. He's living oblivious to all of this until one day this happens. A spotlight falls from the sky, or what he thinks is the sky. It's the roof of the studio. And he picks it up and he thinks, where does a spotlight fall from? And then he begins to think and to work it out. He's not aware that there is something outside of his frame of reference. And the trouble is, so often as church, we live in actually a closed church universe. And yet the reality is we have an intervening, all-powerful God. 
And if we had time this morning, I could take you quite literally round this country and round the globe and tell you stories of how God is breaking in. How thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Muslims are having dreams of Jesus and coming to faith. How Iranians forced out of their home country are arriving here on our shores and coming in dozens and dozens to live in faith in the Lord Jesus because God is doing dramatic things in their lives and in their presence. You could have a look at the EA, Great Commission website. Every week they're posting new stories on that website of people whose lives God is breaking into. God is an intervening, breaking in, all-powerful God. And you know, if I'm being really honest with you, I'm not always sure that my life is lived with reference to that. I have a closed world all too often. I've prayed for people not really believing God would heal them. I've got some great neighbors next door to me. He's always calling me the Pope and things like that. We have a little bit of a banter uh, over the fence. I have to keep saying to him, George, it's not a Pope. It doesn't work like that. And uh, we have these little things um, over the garden fence. Um, and um, even yesterday, we, I, I play hockey for an Essex hockey club, and there was a guy in the opposition called Jesus. And um, it was in the, in the bar afterwards, everyone was saying, I said to him, I said, it's a fascinating name. Everyone says, well, you know who he is, don't you, John? You know, they're giving me this hard time all the time. But, but then I think to myself, why don't I go the extra, the extra bit? And why aren't I freer in sharing the gospel with them? And the honest answer is, what you, what you actually think after you've known someone for a number of years is that they're not going to come to faith, are they? I've prayed for them. I've taken them to carol services. I've made slight you know, efforts to share faith, but, but it's not going anywhere. And we lose the conviction that God is ready and waiting and wanting to break in. We need a church that believes God can break in. Luke's Gospel. He writes again. We heard the words read to us just a few moments ago. He writes again of this mission challenge. You will be witnesses all across the globe. And then, of course, what does he say? But wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. Luke, of course, says the same thing. He records Jesus' Um, words a second time over at the start of his second book, um, the book um, of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, To Luke, it's massively significant what Jesus said. Yes, you will be witnesses. Yes, I will grow my church, but you need to be clothed with power from on high because it's the spirit in us who gives a boldness and a love and a wisdom and the words. It's the spirit being present that convicts people of their need for forgiveness of sins and the life that only Jesus can bring. In 1722, a small group of persecuted Christians moved um, from Moravia to East Germany. They became subsequently known as the Moravians. And from 1730 onwards, for the remainder of the century and into the 19th century, their story was a story of incredible missionary endeavor. They sent people all over the Caribbean and South America. They sent missionaries to the North American Indian tribes, the Mohicans and others. They sent missionaries to the Far East and to the Arctic. They were the first church in modern history to send lay missionaries. Previously, it had been clerics 
only. They were the first Protestant witness in many countries. And incredibly, they sent many young men as missionaries into the slave trade. What they did quite literally was these young men sold themselves into slavery so that they could be shackled alongside those who were being taken from West Africa to the Caribbean against their will. And there are stories told of mothers standing on the docks with tears in their eyes as their young sons were shackled and taken away in order that they could share the hope that Jesus brings with those people. Now, the reason I'm interested in this is that my godmother was a Moravian missionary. She was a Moravian missionary to Tanganyika, as it was in those days, Tanzania now. And talking to her and reading about the history of the Moravians, one thing has come across to me again and again and again is that they were a church that knew the reality of these words in Luke's gospel. Because the historians will tell you that the transformation of the Moravians came about when they were clothed with power from on high. And that quite literally in 1727 or around then, they as a a church, as a community, they experienced the reality of the empowering presence of God. And history records how that emanated in a missionary movement. Someone said a couple of years ago at a conference I was at, someone said, you know the trouble with the church is we're tinkered with by the Holy Spirit. And Paul doesn't say be tinkered with by the Holy Spirit. He says be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said it's not until you are clothed with power from on high that you can be the witnesses that I want you to be. So here's my invitation for the week. Will you pray each morning, Lord, will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Will you clothe me with power from on high so that I can be the mouthpiece you want to be, so that I can be the hands that you want to be for the sake of Jesus? And then finally, in John's Gospel, we have a commission, although as Those of you who have ever done any kind of theological reading, you know that John is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in John's Gospel, we get the commissioning, really, in John 21, where Jesus has this conversation with Peter to restore him after that threefold denial. And what he says each time after he's asked a question is this, feed my sheep. There's, if you like, the commissioning that Jesus gives, not just to Peter, but to his whole church. But the thing that enables Jesus to make the commission is the question that precedes. And the question is this question. Do you love me? Do you love me? More than 20 years ago, I went um, for the interview of a vicar's job. I I won't tell you where it is. Um, But I went for the interview for this vicar's job, and the preceding guy was still in post. And I remember sitting with him in his study, and I said to him, what do the people of, of this church need? And he thought for a minute. He actually took his time. And he said this, they need to be shown how to love Jesus. Do you know what I thought at the time? I thought, that's a bit Sunday school. And do you know what I've thought ever since? How could he be so right and I could be so wrong? Because in Jeremiah, God's people are challenged because they've lost the devotion of their youth. In Revelation, one of the letters to the church says, where is your first love? Where did you lose sight of what it's all about? It's about 
the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says that the commandments can be summed up very simply to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. It's so easy, isn't it? To lose our calibration, to forget where north is, to go a little bit AWOL in the substance and the essence of our faith. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way the church is ever going to be built is by people who love him. I need to come into land. Folks, can I ask you a very simple question? And it's this. Which of these four things that I've shared with you this morning do you need to give a green light to? Maybe for some of us it's to remember that wherever we go and whatever we are about this week, he is with us. And that enables us to be the witnesses he calls us to be. Maybe for some of us, we need to allow our hearts and minds to be challenged by the all-powerful, intervening, in-breaking nature and plan of God. Maybe for each and every one of us, we need to recommit ourselves to praying every day. Father, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. And maybe for some of us, we need to get out our Bibles again and start to read those gospel stories about Jesus and ask that as the love of God fills our hearts afresh, we might in a sincere and a deep and a committed way learn to love Jesus all the more. Because then you will be the church that God calls you to be and we will become the church that London needs. Amen.